Caleb looked up from the motor that he was hunched over. The RD-400 was nearly complete. He heard a sound, a familiar sound echoing off the walls of the canyons around the gulch. Teko's ears perked up too as he honed in on the sound as well. The half-wolf dog laid his ears back and raised his head to the sky and let out a solitary, lonely howl through the dry, stifling air. Colby knew someone had encountered something out there in the gulch. Riding beyond their skill, maybe a hiker lost in the woods, whatever it was, they were pretty far away from civilization. But every once in a while, the silence and the solitude was broken by the sound of a wailing ambulance. It was hard to tell where it was coming from, but the lonely cry called out to Teko, who continued to howl. Colby wiped some sweat off his brow and peered out through the dusty plain out toward Buttfucker's Gulch, where he knew someone had probably cartwheeled their motorcycle off the side of the cliff once again. It was a common occurrence. He reached over and lit a candle, the 26th candle this month, on his vigil, the altar to the gods of demons of speed who lived among the cracks, crevices, turns, and canyons of Buttfucker's Gulch. Rest in peace, friend, he said. And he hunched back over the RD, getting his own demon ready to rip through the canyons and hopefully survive the trials and tribulations of Buttfucker's Gulch. Moto One Podcast Network. You're listening to Creative Writing, America's best motorcycle podcast. Hey, there's a bunch of asterisks behind that. <laughs> Never mind. We're brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. For more information, head over to patreon.com forward slash creative writing to learn how you can support the show yourself. Now, let's get cracking. Roll on the throttle, blip the brakes, tighten the air cleaner, check the crankshaft, and don't spill your coffee. Oh boy, who am I, fool? And listen, everybody, welcome. This is uh, Creative Writing, and uh, I am hotter than a mosquito's titty. I hope you're enjoying the... uh, the stories from Buttfucker's Gulch since a uh, since Solstice Slam. I think it's going to be an ongoing. And I might write a book. Who knows? <laughs> so, hey, let's get into this week's show. Um, first, uh, first off, Tobor. Hey, hi. How you doing? Hello, Junkie. Hi. God. Uh, how are you, man? Um, well, for you, for you, answer that before I give you a chance to. I, I know I muted your mic um i am so sweating right now it is hotter than a mofo i i feel like i need to turn on a, like a 
a fire, what's it called? Like a fire uh, <laughs> sound effect or something right now. It is hot and I cannot, uh, cannot believe how hot it is in here. There we go. Whoo, that's my, my brain just blew up. It is hot, man. And I, I'm sweating like a pig right now. Um, I have no, no, uh, Alcoholic beverages, cold alkies here for us. I'm staring at this uh, Elysian Space Dust IPA that uh, is just empty, collecting dust right now. I feel like I feel like we're in Buttfucker's Gulch, a dry, desolate, lonesome landscape out here in the desert. Uh, even though we're in downtown Burbank, it is is incredibly hot. Hang on one sec. Mm. You know how in the Midwest or like in the North, uh, this is U.S. I don't know if anybody does this in any other countries, but maybe you'll see videos of like Poland and Russia and stuff. People pour their, go outside and they pour some water and it freezes before it hits the ground or they throw it up in the air and it like, instead of turning to vapor, it turns into a ice chunk and hits the ground. Um, I just poured water into my mouth and before it hit my mouth, it, it evaporated. It, uh, sublimated into gas before it actually, you know, the liquid form. Uh, I'm dying, man. So I'm sorry, Tobar. I digress. Um, how are you? I am quite overheated in this current environment. Mm. You may want to seek shelter for us in a cooler area. Pee. <laughs> Pee. <laughs> a cooler area. Pee. Peace. Yeah. Uh, I... I am. It is hot in here. How hot do you think it is? Do you have a um, measurement unit on you? It is 41,000 joules. <laughs> that does not help at all, Tobor. I need like a, a Fahrenheit, even a Celsius would work at this rate. This room rates 566 on the Schofield scale. Hmm. It is hotter than a ghost pepper jalapeno pepper hybrid. I was going to say the Schofield scale is... Uh, a spice scale. So I, that doesn't quite work for me either. Uh, at any rate, Tobor, um, let's get into this week's show. Uh, let me say, if uh, you're tuning in for the first time ever, we have a little disclaimer. God, I typed out this week's notes. That's why That's why this episode's coming out super late. It took me about f- seven and a half days to type out the notes. That's why I usually just talk is because when you type out everything you say and you're blabberpuss, guess what? Four months later, you have your dialogue. Um, Hey, listen, thank you for our patrons. Thank you for our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash creative writing. Find us on all the social medias while you're at it. Leave us a review in Apple podcasts or Google play or uh, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Overwatch, Fortnite, World of Warcraft, uh, Elden Ring, Rocket League, uh, whatever, wherever you're listening to us on, hell, YouTube, Stitcher, SoundCloud. I don't care where you're listening to us or what you're playing, where, where how you're playing us. I just like that you're playing us, and I thank you very much for tuning in to this blabberfest. Every time we do one. Uh, so listen, the views and opinions of the participants of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast are those of the participants. They do not reflect the policy position or opinions of Creative Writing, the Moto One Podcast Network, or its affiliates. And any opinion is the respective participants and is not intended to malign anyone or anything, including... Zero motorcycles. <laughs> riders. Thank you, Tobor. I told you to have one ready, and I was not expecting that one. So speaking of heat, speaking of zero motorcycles, uh, th- this week's show, oops, I uh, I pulled my cord. I can't hear anything now. 
Um, this week's show is going to be pretty gnar. Uh, like I said, I typed everything out. I got them sweating so bad that my I can't even. My eyes are burning. Sweat's just falling into my eyes. Don't don't we pay for the air? We don't pay for the air conditioned studio, do we? That's the problem. We're we're down here by the boiler room. Now we're in California, but for some reason, this archaic building still has a boiler, and they still have a little coal chute for the guy, the coal peddler, once a once a week that comes around and and peddles uh, fourteen carts of coal, shovels it down the chute here. Tobor and I are just black dust, which is fine with me because my skin is kind of, um, is this a little too much behind the scenes? My skin is kind of greenish transparent. If you've ever seen it, um, if you've ever seen a video of me, it's cause I put makeup on my skin so you don't see through it. It's kind of gross people out, but I like this coal dust cause it kind of coats, coats me and makes me kind of gray looking. So it's kind of cool, but very hard to breathe. And Tobor, you the same, you, you look like, uh, some steampunk artist got a hold of you and tried to, you know, it's like the robotic version of Oliver, Oliver Twist or something. So we are probably going to talk about the heat on this, uh, this episode, but let's turn up the heat right now. Let's get into some current events and get into this show. We were, we had two guests, uh, waiting to be on, uh, but while they were in the green room, uh, but right before we started recording and we're getting everything set up, they both evaporated. One of them died of heat stroke and the other one just evaporated. So, uh, yeah, it's super hot. Either that or they burnt to a crisp and their bones blew away. I'm not hundred percent sure exactly what happened, but I'm going to tell you, if you're riding around here right now at GAT, I'm all about the at GAT. You do need to wear all the gear all the time, but God dang, make sure you have an air conditioning unit hooked up, um, inside that gear. Uh, ironically, wearing leather for me during the summertime has always been favorable because it keeps the sun off you and you sweat like a pig inside, but then when you hit the air, it is like having an air conditioning unit. So just to stay hydrated so that you don't also evaporate yourself. So pardon me, let me shut up here. And um, I'm just gasping for air. It's like, there's not, it's so hot. It's like burning my lungs to breathe in. Is that, are you feeling the same thing, Tobor? I mean, is it, no, you're good. Okay, so we're gonna make it. Do you want to want to see if we can move to the other studio? Perhaps another time. Okay, right. If, if you're good, we'll stay here. All right. So, listen. Upcoming events this weekend. If you're listening to the show right now, you're probably missing them already because this you should have been listening yesterday. But hey, listen. July 23rd, the Los Angeles Motorcycle Campout is happening at Camp Alto Campground up in Fraser Park, California. That is sort of by where. We did our uh, Memorial Day ride a few months ago, a couple months ago now already, which just, it feels like it was just a couple of weeks ago, but uh, no, it's already been a while. Um, also, July 23rd, Hell on Wheels, night racing at Glen Helen Raceway. You don't want to miss the Hell on Wheels gang. They are, you know, uh, it's all about the fun. Meatball and the crew have been around doing events across SoCal for, I want to say about 20 years now, I feel like it's been a long time. They do the Halloween hill climb. They do a bunch of flat track stuff. They do some old dirt bike stuff. There's no, uh, hard feelings, no, no, you know, bike classes and that you just get out there, you have fun, you bring some friends, you race, whatever you bring. You can PW 50 it up, Honda Grom, Harley Davidson, Honda Goldwing, uh, an old Elsinore 250, you know, an old Triumph. They don't care. You get out there, you race it, and they pick some awesome tracks like Glen Helen, historic historic off-road track with a nice um, 
nice uh, trophy truck track so that you don't be- beat up your bike doing like vertical supercross stuff. So really, really cool. Also happening this weekend, July 23rd and 24th, most of my friends are going to be in Lexington, Ohio for the AMA Vintage Days. MotoGP uh, from Nokomoto is probably going to get probably not naked again this year. He's probably going to murder someone this year because you got to like, besides being naked, maybe he can pull some Gigi Allen before he, before he goes to murder He'll probably stick firecracker or dynamite up his butt and like shoot it out to somebody or, uh, I don't know, swallow a flaming sword. I don't know what he's going to do this year, but, uh, he reset the bar for AMA vintage days last year by doing the naked burnout with firecrackers going off on his head, smoking a a Swisher sweet. So who knows what's going to happen this, this uh, year, maybe he's going to lay back and see what other, uh, barnacle brains show up. Uh, maybe he'll, maybe he'll have a kissing booth there. I don't know. (laughs) July July 30th, <laughs> next next weekend. Uh, motorcycle Art Show is happening at Prohibition Brewing in Vista, California. I will be there barring any major catastrophes. If I myself evaporate tonight, then uh, so be it. I won't be there. But uh, my plan is to be down there. I'm uh, going to have a little production crew down there checking it out. As always, Rick James, who we haven't been to one of these moto art shows in quite a while, but... Uh, they are quite fun. So make sure you're down at uh, Prohibition Brewing in Vista, California, July 30th for Motorcycle Art Show. You can also look up on Cyclefish, and he's got it on there. Um, so it's a legit thing. July 31st, I didn't even know there was 31 days in July, but uh, that's a Sunday. Uh, the SoCal Cycle Swap Meet happens the last Sunday of every month down at Veterans Memorial Stadium in Long Beach. And uh, go down there and check it out. They got a lot of cool stuff. It's going to be hot as hell uh, this weekend, and I'm sure it's going to be hotter that weekend. So just make sure you take lots of sunscreen and an umbrella or a parasol and uh, keep the heat off you and keep the parts in your basket. Uh, August 15th, uh, I'm sorry, 15th, geez. August 5th through the 14th, the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally is happening in Mud Pots, South Dakota. Started 432 years ago by a group of Indian riders known as the Jackpot Gypsies. Uh, the Sturgis Rally, and a lot of people pronounce it Sturgis, but I've uh, verified with the the people where the, the word Sturgis comes from, and it's a hard G. Uh, they say, you don't, how do you pronounce B-A-G? And I said, bag. They said, yeah, you don't say badge. Uh, how do you pronounce um, S-A-G? And I said, sag. And they said, yeah, not saj. So don't pronounce S-T-U-R-G as sturge. It's sturg. And I said, all right. And then they slapped me three times um, over the head. And uh, so, yeah, if you're out there in Mud Pot, South Dakota, uh you know, bring a wet t-shirt cause I'm sure it's going to be hot. Not, not for the wet t-shirt contest, but just to put on, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of people. Obviously this is a really huge rally. I think this is an 82nd, uh, Sturgis rally. And, uh, yeah, it takes over the town of mud pots, South Dakota, uh, and dominates for two weeks. And I, I thought that's how they made their money, but We'll find out at the end of the show how they really make their money. Uh, August 14th, so if you can make it to the Sturgis Rally and fly back from Mud Pots into Orange County to what? what is that, John Wayne Airport, you may be able to go to... Uh, the vintage OC, uh, vintage bike OC at Castaneda's Restaurant down there on Castaneda Restaurant Boulevard. 
I don't really know what boulevard it's on, but it's uh, August 14th. That's happening every month down there in uh, Orange County. Also, August 21st, the Venice Vintage Motorcycle Club third Sunday ride happening at 1304 Abbott Kinney Boulevard. I do know where that is because I've been down there a few times. Uh, Venice Vintage Club, that's somebody, uh, that's a group we don't talk enough about, but nice that I just yanked my, motor- my motorcycle, my microphone away from me. Um, so the Venice Vintage Motorcycle Club has been around forever. Uh, years before, when I first moved to LA 15 years ago, they were um, they were starting out then. My, my good friend Sarah bought her CB404 from Shannon, who was the... Uh, one of the founders and the president or, or leader or whatever at the time, um, who has since moved away. But that's where Brady Walker, sweet talker and a friend of Ben Falker, he uh, w- used to hang out with the vintage 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 guys. And you might have heard him talking about on our crash episode all the drunk crashes he had. So these guys are a real riot to be around. They encourage you to do uh, lots of booze and cocaine and then crash your bike all over the place. So it's a fun ride. Third, the third Sunday ride. If you're an attorney or an M- ambulance driver, uh, August 22nd is going to be the, uh, post Venice Vintage Motorcycle Club third Sunday scoop up. Um, <laughs> so no, it's real fun. Go check it out. They, there's a ton of cool cafe racers. It's like, we're, we're, it's like, uh, about 10 years ago when, when CB seven fifties went from what they should cost, which is about, you know, 1500 bucks to like $7,000 It's because, uh, these guys were restoring them and making them look super hot and cherry. So yeah, go check it out august 21st venice vintage motorcycle club august 28th again hey that's a month after july 31st the last sunday socal cycle swap meet comes back up it's the last sunday of every month i told you you should have been listening for those dates and when i got there you should have been like hey it's probably happening at veterans memorial stadium down on uh long beach drive there in long beach yep and that's that's what's happening um again I don't know what's going to be hotter, July or August at this point. Um, maybe even October in Southern California. I have no idea. It's just getting hotter and hotter every fucking day. So there's a, there's always that. Tober, I'm sorry I'm getting salty. It's I'm, My my lips are sweating. And that's how hot it is in here. Um, September, MotoFest is happening in uh, – MotoFest Coventry. Let me be very specific about that. It's happening in the town of – uh, Bl- Blighton, England. <laughs> no, no, Motorfest Coventry is happening in Coventry, England, United Kingdom, Great Britain. Uh, go down there and check it out. You'll probably be able to see the new Triumph uh, TE01. Uh, you'll probably see some British stuff. You'll probably see some bikes with really bad teeth, but people with really good attitudes. I love England. I've never been there. I just said that so that they don't. Uh, Nuke us. Uh, September 8th through 23rd, the Variety Adventure Ride is happening in New England region, Australia. Tamworth to Tamworth, baby. And it's to support the Variety Children's Charity. Now, if I said, the whole reason I said Coventry, England, UK, Great Britain, I was just covering my bases because I don't know what the fuck's what, right? I mean, I know what England is. I know what the UK is. I really don't know what the difference between the UK and the Great Britons is. So when I saw New England on this variety adventure ride, but it said Tamworth. I was like, Tamworth is not, there's no city in the United States named Tamworth. I know all of them. There's about 3,423,000 cities in the U.S., and I know every single one in alphabetical order because I'm autistic. So Tamworth, uh, that, or I'm not, I'm not autistic. I'm an idiot savant. <laughs> What's better? Let me see. Which one's worse? 
<laughs> Neither of them, I guess. Anyways, when I saw New England, I was like, this ain't in New England, right? I mean, I know New England stole a lot of stuff from England, UK, Great Britain, but New England, Australia? No, this has to be something crazy. So I guess uh, Australia also has their own New England region, and I, I guarantee there's no maple syrup there like there is in the one here in the States. So if you are in... Uh, Tamworth area, or you're going to be in the New England region of Australia. There's also New South Wales. So, I mean, there's all sorts of crazy stuff. There's probably a new Scotland over there for all I know. Um, September 18th through 23rd is where you want to be. It sounds like a really fun ride. The details are probably on varietyadventureride.com, or you can go to uh, Australian Motorcycle News or MCN Australia. Um, and check it out there. They got all the details. There was like days, you know, every single day they're going to be doing like a a new rally point on this thing. So it's Tamworth to Tamworth, but in those 18, 19, 20, 21, so in those five days, they're doing little points here and there in between. Uh, October 7th, guess what's happening back here? You fly from Tamworth, New England, to uh, southwest of the United States, you can hit up the SoCal Bike Fest 2022 happening at San Manuel Stadium in San Bernardino, California. I'm assuming that is the San Manuel Band of Mission Indians. Uh, And I'm assuming that's going to be out at their... uh, stadium out there and anytime you go to a bike fest that's inside a stadium that's not super cross or stadium cross uh it makes me wonder you know what i'm saying so let's uh let's check it out socal bike fest 2022 i think this is the second one so uh apparently there was one in 2021 uh ims was canceled folks so this is all you're gonna get all these crazy uh bike fests here in uh in socal uh october 7th that must be uh Saturday, October 8th, uh, Joe's mini bike reunion is happening in La Crescenta, California. You know where to go. Out. It's like off of Honolulu Boulevard or whatever. I forget the name of the street up there, but if you ever gone to Joe's mini bike reunion, you know where it's at. It's in that park in La Crescenta that it's always at. Um, I think I was listening to the, the Joe's mini bike podcast and I think he's going to uh, make it easier for people to get in because he did. He didn't like the people showing up and like didn't want to pay to get in. So it's like they were hanging out on the street outside doing deals out of the back of their trucks there. So he made it really easy and cheap to get in if you want to sell some stuff so that you don't have to be that guy that you know shows up to the uh, baseball game and then sells merch out of the back of your truck. Just come on in, you know, or don't go to the cricket match and sell a little cricket hat and a little cricket bat, you know, at the back of your. Uh, rally capri go go inside he's inviting you in he's making it cheap for vendors for anybody that wants to come in uh so yeah it's a great time it's it's always so cool to see what people do with mini bikes from from old Charlie's. maybe there'll be a benley there there's old tacos bonanzas all sorts of like actual little mini bikes that people used to get into riding to these crazy pimped out machines that people uh like um Go Power Sports and uh, who are the guys, the AVR mini bike crew that I interviewed last time we were there to Yeti, the guy that was there. Everybody's doing something different with their mini bikes. And we got, you know, we're talking uh, everything from those old vintage ones like the tacos and the banana, uh, bonanzas and the, um, oh God, what are those little, uh, I forget what they were called, but, you know, they have Coleman's and people that bring Coleman's and Grom's and all sorts of crazy stuff. So that's always a fun show. I, I uh, implore you to check out uh, Joe's Mini Bike Reunion October 8th in La Crescenta, California. October 15th. 
The El Camino Vintage Show and Swap Meet in Gardena, California. This also is a California, Southern California staple. Uh, it's been going on for quite a while. I think this is like, I don't know. I don't know if it's 75th anniversary or what it is, but the El Camino, that means the road, and it's the uh, it's the uh, road that the Spanish paved from, I don't know, Tijuana up to uh, San Francisco. And uh, so, yeah, if you want to know where it is, go go <laughs> drive El Camino. It, it, start in San Francisco and drive down, or start in Tijuana and drive up. You'll find it. On October 15th, it's the only vintage show and swap meet that's going to be around that area. And finally, taking us into the end of October before Spooky Month ends, October 23rd through 28th, the BMW GS Rally is happening in Tasmania. So if you're part of that, uh, good luck and good riddance. Have fun. And I just thought I'd stick it out there because the GS rally, I think only happens like every two years or something like that. So it'd be kind of cool to see, uh, what happens this year in Tasmania, Tasmania. Hopefully you don't see a Tasmanian devil or a Tasmanian wolf. Uh, what were those things called? Thylacines? Um, yeah. So have fun. If you have an event coming up that you want to brag about, I'm sure there's all sorts of fun stuff. There's probably like a poster just race. There's probably some flat track racing. There's probably a whole bunch of racing going on. And we're supposed to do a racing show. Look at this, Tobor. Look, this is so, it's so, yeah, do you hear that? It's so hot. I do not want to power off. But it's so hot in here that the stand for the uh, sound effect board is literally melting backward. Like the uh, Hello, misfortunate. fixture Lawrence, on it is just Don melting. Pettigrew Dude, that is Don insane. This desk is hot. How is Boy, my computer sure not melting? Like the Tobor. The studio there could use a Tobor. Oh my God, Tobor's fan. I'm not talking beer. He's kicked into high gear. I'm talking gear. about refrigerant uh, sprayed right troubling. in their face. Mm. Listen, oh, he's still he's still awake. If you're trying to overcome the heat in your garage, Anyways, all right, let's take a quick, quick, brief, a quick, brief intermission and get back to some rest of this freaking show and, and uh, y'all stick around if it's hot where you are Don take Pettigrew this time to go get a cool bevy and, for uh, and throw it in your Chevy and we'll be right <laughs> back with more creative crevy after this message is of a message it's a message tired of hanging out in the garage with buddies and not knowing what they're talking about do you have inferior knowledge of carburetors or electrical systems what about grilling beef guns or other manly things now RP Enterprises has you covered. Introducing Mantriloquist. Mantriloquist is a monthly subscription service that puts an expert right in your head. The next time you're in the garage throwing back some suds with your buds and the conversation takes a turn into uncharted waters, just text pound 33976 on your cell phone and wait for the magic to happen. The experts in our call center are available 24 hours a day. They spring into action via our patented two-way earpiece. They'll listen in on your conversations to make sure you don't sound like the village idiot in front of your friends. Our discreet communications protocol means that your pals won't hear a thing except for you delivering all the right answers. Now, you don't have to be afraid to join the conversation when topics come up like fuel pumps, inverters, clitoris, drywall, sniper rifles, and so much more. Mandriloquist will put you back in the game instead of holding your purse in the corner. So, man up with Mandriloquist. Requires a three-month minimum subscription. Not available for women. They generally don't care or are not afraid to ask questions. Not available in Guam or Burkina Faso. Standard messaging and data rates apply. Money back guaranteed. Call now to order.
Oh, God, I stink. For over 125 and a half years, no pickle has been more trusted by motorcycle champions everywhere than Clobman Pickles. You want to win your race? Put a Clobman Pickle in your face. Clobman's guaranteed. in your mouth and a championship trophy on your shelf. Clubbins, the only pickle for motorcyclists. Fuck, Tobor, I smell like a skunk's dick. What the fuck? Oh shit, we're live? Oh shit. All right, everybody, welcome back to Creative Writing. Uh, hi. How you doing? I'm hot. <laughs> hey everybody, listen up uh, I got some news we want to share uh, Hopefully you can make it to one of those events That we talked about earlier um, Let's get into some news And Maybe before I get into the news This news is going to take a long time Maybe before I get into the news Let me crack a, crack a funny joke That one of our uh, patrons sent us today oh, Excuse me Sent us the other day I don't know when they sent it to us I can't even breathe no more I can't even breathe uh, So here we go so this is from one of our patrons, Becky, who, uh, by the way, is, uh, <laughs> I got something for you coming, Becky. She sent me this email, and I love it. It says, hey, cage-free eggs. Does that mean the chickens ride motorcycles? Oh, Tobert, you got to do it. All right. Yeah, you ready for it? Okay. So cage-free eggs, does that mean the chickens ride motorcycles? Oh, Tobert, what the fuck's going on? No? You're doing it? I don't hear it. Well, Tobor's doing the joke drum. For once in his pathetic life... Oh, that's why, Tobor. I know why. <laughs> Let's try this an 18th time. Tobor, Becky sent me this radical email. It says, hey, cage-free eggs. Does that mean the chickens don't ride motorcycles? <laughs> God damn it. That was great, Tobor. Fantastic error. Uh, fantastic use of all of, our <laughs> all of our faculties. Is it that hot where you can't... I can't even think either. Yeah, no, it's, it's cool. It's, it's, it's cool. Um... A, uh, another listener sent us some stuff, Johnny Roundtree, uh, who is uh, constantly sending some cool videos. Uh, Johnny and Becky, I just want to let you both know, I got uh, some stuff coming to you both, um, and Rob, who submitted stuff for Salsa Slam. Uh, Becky and Rob submitted some cool crash stories. Uh, and Becky, I made you, uh, I hope you like the drawing I made you. Uh, I made you a little, you'll see it when you get it. Why am I spoiling it for you? But anyways, yeah, I hope you like it. Uh, it's coming pretty soon. Um, I just got to get uh, down to the mailbox. Uh, uh, blah, 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 blah. Johnny Roundtree uh, says, hey, hope all is well with me and the fam. I don't know if he means me and the Sly and the Family Stone or me and my actual fam, uh, but the podcast has been very exciting lately, and I think it's that trip that we took. Everybody wants to know what Wiggins and Siddons were using on their gear. So we'll get to that one of these days. I'm supposed to see those fools this weekend for Evie's birthday. So uh, Minnie Wiggins is having her like fifth birthday. Um, so I'll ask and we'll see if we can get a show hooked up with those guys. Uh, but anyways, uh, yeah, he's sharing it. He sent a couple pics of his VFR 800, which is awesome. And uh, he's headed to Washington State on his VFR 800. He lived there for uh, five years of his life. Thank God. I, ho I hate when people live place for their death. It's very sad. Uh, so <laughs> anyways, a close friend bought a big Kawasaki Sport touring bike. I'm guessing it's a, a ZX-14 or it's like a Concourse 14 
or maybe it's the Ninja HSX2SE Plus 9000. Who knows? Anyways, uh, so he begged his wife for it, got another bike. Why can't I? So, oh, I'm sorry. Johnny got another bike. Why can't I? So his complaint is no one to ride with, nobody to go with. So I'm doing an Oregon coast and he's meeting me halfway. That sounds spectacular, Johnny Roundtree. If you get any footage, send it. Uh, I'd love to see it. I love the videos that you send. Thank you very much. You can check out Johnny Roundtree on YouTube. He's got some pretty fun stuff. Two wheels. Uh, sometimes one of them's up in the air. Um, and sometimes one of them is on a motorized Ibex. I don't know why I said that. That was rude. Um, Chad Clink, or almost Chad Clonk, as Tobor called you when you won Salsa Slam. Um, congratulations. Uh, Chad's helmet made it, and uh, hopefully it fits. And I'm, I bet he was surprised that it wasn't a little... Uh, helmet that you scoop ice cream into and eat it out <laughs> like those old novelty baseball helmets uh, that they used to pawn off to little kids back in the day. Uh, it was an actual helmet. Uh, it does pay once in a while to be a patron and of the show. And patrons, how that works is that you get entered into all of our uh, competitions that we have, so, uh, Salsa Slam. Uh, we used to do Spooky Spokes. Maybe we'll bring something back if more people start participating. I almost gave up on Salsa Slam this year, and if it hadn't been for our crash stories, we probably wouldn't have had nada. So thank you, everybody that submitted something to, uh, for Salsa Slam, be it a crash story, uh, um, uh, drawing you know, from last year. So that's what I want to say. Rob, uh, Johnny, Becky... Um, and Chad, you know, you guys have more stuff coming for Social Slam. And uh, let me see. With that, yeah, that was the big news there. Um, and hopefully, hopefully next Social Slam will be even better. Uh, now that we got, you know, a little bit of money in the coffers, we've been kind of taking care of stuff um, and not going crazy. You know, uh, the hosting and everything is under control and manageable. So we got a little bit of extra money to spend on you guys, the patrons, the more patrons we get, the more money we get in the uh, piggy bank, the better the prizes can be. So encourage your friend. If you like creative writing and if you don't like creative writing, uh, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, donate to the show, become a patron and then offer some things. Say, Hey, listen, a hole, like you should talk about this and this and this, or you should let me be the host and let me see if I do any better. So you never know that might work. Anyways, uh, congrats to everybody for social slam. Thank you. Uh, as always patrons. And, uh, once in a while, I feel, I feel like Chad has never, ever won anything and he's been a patron for almost as long as everybody else. And, um, yeah, it finally has come up. And so, Chad, go out and grab the world by the balls now, my friend. Thank you. And then <laughs> fondle those balls. Maybe you'll get a raise at work. Who knows? Uh, hey, listen, everybody, we're going to get into some news now. Uh, thank you, Tobor. Anything else? Thank you. Anything else? Oh, God. I deserve, I deserve that one. All right, let's get into the news. I'm calling this the Doom and Gloom Edition because as I was typing, you know, Every single day I started typing the notes for this show, something else popped up in the news. It was crazy. It was nuts. So how this episode started out is I was watching Long Way Up uh, on Apple TV, and uh, I didn't even know I had Apple TV. I just start, I saw it on my computer, and I started watching Long Way Up, and I thought, oh, this is fantastic. You know, the story of these guys, why they chose the live wire, why they did uh, this and that, the problems behind driving... Um, 
electric motorcycles and the fact that the company Rivian, basically, if you haven't seen Long Way Up, I don't want to spoil it, but uh, it take, takes a lot of work to get that infrastructure laid down. And uh, we might have we might uh, talk to somebody who directly uh, does that sort of thing here. We've we've had a guest on the show before that d- does, but we might actually have an update show where we get more uh, electric people to come talk about the infrastructure and things that are happening right now. But it was just a really interesting story behind it all. Just the setup to this one uh, was a little bit different than the previous ones. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and so then to watch them do the uh, start the trip was pretty pretty incredible. I have not finished it. I just started it. Uh, also started a fabulous book called uh, Chronicles of a Motorcycle Gypsy. Uh, there's a few of these out there. It's by uh, the author is Tiffany Burkett. Um, I love her style of writing. I was really skeptical because I've read a few other ride journals uh, and they kind of sucked um, in my opinion they didn't they didn't suck per se but just what captures my attention just wasn't there so when I started reading hers I was hooked I didn't want to put it down uh, I read it while I was in uh, Chicago I read it I, you know every t- single time I get a free moment I'll pick it up and read it uh, which means that all the, my other subscriptions are piling up and I haven't read them I, I have a very uh, limited reading um, fuel tank, if you will. So therefore, that means this book's pretty good. So not only that, the, these two stories of adventure got me thinking about all the great stuff happening in the world right now, and especially the electric thing. You know, Long Way Up is a few years, a couple of years old now, a few years old, and that was, you know, a while ago. There's got to be new stuff coming out since then, right? So I started going down this rabbit hole. I have also recently, in uh, in in full transparency, been reading a lot about uh, electric bikes and riding a bunch of electric bikes. And electric bikes, uh, I mentioned this a few months ago, are actually climbing up the power sports ranks at power sports dealerships and things like that, taking over things like Marines, snowmobile. Hell, there might not be any snow anymore pretty soon here. To, or, or maybe they'll make snow bikes, who knows? Because um, it seems like it's either not snowing in very many places anymore or it's dumping snow in at weird times. So who knows? But um, at any rate, uh, the bicycle thing's really taken off right now, right? So I just got me, this whole thing got me kind of peaked. And as I'm, st- as I'm doing the uh, notes for this, I, re- I felt really doom and gloom. First things first, we haven't talked about this in a while, but it's happened and it's happening now. Uh, everybody's known this for a while, Suzuki, pulling out of uh, MotoGP and Endurance World Championship Series. Uh, it's the EWC. I don't know why they call it the World Endurance Championship. It's the Endurance World Championship, if you ask me. But anyway, the Suzuki president, um, Toshihiro Suzuki, announced that they're going to bounce at the end of 22. Later! Um, that has massive implications in MotoGP because I believe Alex Rins uh, won in 2020, right, when Mark Marquez um, uh, crashed himself out. And if he ever comes back, we'll, we'll have to see as well. There's been a lot of lot of stuff happening with, with the uh, premier motorcycle racing. But Suzuki winning for the first time in like 50 years was a huge one, right? And then um, there was some pretty good showings this year. So they're going to finish out 2022 and they're going to support the riders, as, you know, fully. But you, I think you sign... A, uh, a contract with MotoGP because as a premier, um, f- imagine a FIFA if you watch uh, soccer or um, the NHL if you watch uh, American basketball. Um, 
if any of these hockey teams or any of these football teams uh, decided they were going to pull out, well, what's the biggest draw coming to your, you know, people want to go see the stars. People want to see, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, the, the, the machines. And you're thinking, oh, it's great for Suzuki because it's advertising, especially when they won. How many GSXR 1000s did they sell? Probably not a whole lot, to be honest. But uh, the series is what is worried about their reputation to be able to keep high-end manufacturers in, right? Because what's going to happen if, uh, you know, five years from now, MotoGP is a bunch of people racing around on derby scooters. It's not going to be very exciting. People are already pissed off about the Moto EGP stuff not being exciting enough, even though those bikes are getting better and faster um, and having different (coughs) manufacturers show up. So to hear that Suzuki was going to bounce, they had this whole thing where... uh, I think it was about two months ago. There was big, big news. Suzuki's announcing they're going to pull out a MotoGP. Oh, toeboard. Jeez. You, I'm going to turn you down. Uh, you know, everyone's freaking out about it. And uh, basically, they um, honestly, they, they uh, you know, were worried about it. And now Suzuki says, yes, in fact, we are going to, we're going to bounce. Um, pulling out of most racing so that they can focus their R&D on other areas. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. Also, a couple weeks ago now already too, maybe about a month ago even, Japanese manufacturers have announced that they're going to stop production of 10% of the current model lineup uh, from the Japanese Big Four to focus on mostly electric. Uh, Car Scoops is where I read this, but I've heard it on a whole bunch of other um, motorcycle podcasts and and, and news sources since then. But uh, last month, Car Scoops reported the Japanese Big Four would cut 10% of the 190 models currently offered by Honda, Kawasaki, Yamaha, and Suzuki. So 19 models out of the 190. Doesn't sound like a lot, but wait till you hear this. Uh, The action is a response to some emission standards which go into effect across Japan this coming fall, which is like, what, two months away uh, at this point. Unless fall in Japan is like later. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking about that wrong. But according to the article, it includes the Honda CB400, which we talked to, you know, Matt from My Motorbike Obsessions a few months ago. And that is like a huge JDM displacement uh, category is the 400s, right? So the Honda CB400, something we never got here in the States, but something that's super iconic, um, as iconic as the SR400 has been being produced forever over there, that is going to go the way of the uh, the auk. I wanted to say dodo, but the auk was another bird that I think humans drove to extinction. So uh, the Benley scooter, which has also been around since like 1959 or something like that, and the Goldwing line. Listen again, everybody. I said the Goldwing line. Yes, Honda's gigantic you know, motorhome on wheels that's been around since uh, 1968 or whatever it was, or 67. That thing started out as a uh, top secret racing project uh, and as it transformed into a rolling RV recreational vehicle. Uh, that is supposedly going away. And I think probably because the, my, my speculation is because those cost a lot and they have big motors that pollute a lot, and they have to do a lot of stuff to make those compliant all the time and make them lighter and more gas-efficient and this and that, and it's just not working. Um, the smaller things are selling better. You know what I'm saying? You can sell one Goldwing or you can sell you know, five little scooters, 
And uh, yeah, but the, the cost is even. No, if you think about it, like you're financing one person for a gold wing, you're financing five little scooters. The interest on five things is hopefully better than the interest on one. And the f- financing and the F&I guy bends you over the desk and does you up the butt for, you know, tire gap insurance and tire policy and all this other stuff that they get. So it, it's makes, you get five sales versus one. Um, so I think, in the end, that this that's just my speculation, but I think that it does, uh, it's hard for Honda probably to, you know, you got to imagine they have, they have generators and, you know, all sorts of power equipment, plus their off-road stuff, plus their cars. I mean, it's a, it's a huge decision they have to make across the board, I'm guessing. So uh, that is going to be affecting a lot of Honda faithful. Um, the CB400 and the Goldwing in particular. Uh, Yamaha is going to cut the FJR line, which I researched online, and I only saw available in North America, specifically the USA and Canada. No other North American countries carried it anyway. Um, Yamaha Mexico doesn't even offer the FJR, so and none of the other um, North American countries uh, south of Mexico uh, has anything bigger than like a 125. So I don't know where else they are selling this. J- the FJR or XJR 1300 or whatever it was in Japan, I think it went away in like 2015 or in Europe, wherever it was at. So the FJR, they're discontinuing as well. And I imagine sales aren't uh, super great around here anyway. Thank ghosts in this uh, studio. I hate this place sometimes. Um, so anyway, yeah, so the... Uh, so that's that's happening, and and that wasn't the only one. Suzuki was going to uh, get rid of the um, the little GSR XR two fifty and a couple other ones. So everybody, everybody's cleaning up. Suzuki probably has just about a b- big as market share as BMW does, which is kind of tiny in the states. So, uh, but this is going to affect the Japanese domestic markets as well as European markets as well. So. Um, and the Nikkei, I was reading Nikkei Asia. They reported that these companies plan on switching to electric in the coming decades, um, and which is coming faster than we think. You know, you think ten years, but that's about how how long it takes to uh, uh, plan a vehicle. Um, also, in the Nikkei, the inflated price of precious metals that go into catalytic converters. Uh, and the high cost and timeline of redesigning an engine, those are two factors that would skyrocket prices three to four times directly affecting to consumers. So if you can imagine the prices now, people are complaining about bikes getting a little bit more expensive than they used to be. Imagine that suddenly skyrocketing three to four times with inflation and the price of metals going up um, and people being more worried about what we're extracting, right? The thing about catalytic converters, we should talk about it sometime on the show. They are these crazy, crazy metals, and they convert um, like the uh, the gases that go through them into water, and that's why water drips out the tailpipe of your car. Uh, sometimes, if you blip your bike, you'll see steam or or like a little puff of puff of water shoot out. Uh, it's the catalytic converter converts things to water. So it's, it's really interesting how they work. We should talk about it sometime, but not right now. I'm just going to tell you that those are not cheap to make and that's why people steal them and recycle them too. Um, so 
rather than having bikes be harder to redesign, more costly to redesign, uh, having to pay people to redesign them and then roll that over to the customer three to four times the price, it's just not going to be worth it pretty soon. Uh, so as a result, the move looks to be a way for all of these OEMs to refocus their production on global bestsellers, uh, like the smaller bikes, the bikes that they've been popping out that are grandfathered in, KLR comes to mind, uh, the DR uh, Z400 SM and 400S come to mind. Uh, the focus, uh, they're going to refocus research and development on electrification of future models. And Kawasaki reportedly has the most ambitious statement, uh, according to the Car Scoops article. They'll the it said they'll be release, releasing ten electric and hybrid models in the next couple of years. Uh, with all four Japanese makers planning to be electrified within the next two decades. And like I said, two decades sounds like a lot, but right now 90s sport bikes are pretty hot. and They're like 30 to 40 year, 30 years old, right? So, uh, yeah, so it's happening pretty quick here. Um, <clears throat> so the Honda Ice Legacy, so the internal combustion engine. So despite all these news regarding Japan's uh, largest companies slashing models, there was a significant buzz last month regarding Honda's Hornet. So Honda's bringing back a popular smaller displacement model like the Hornet. Uh, so there was some sketch studies released, and I was reading Australian Motorcycle News. They posted that the Hornet will most likely be a parallel twin displacing 755 cc's based on the... Uh, some, quote, usually reliable Japanese sources, unquote. Uh, and I don't know who their sources are, but that's a weird displacement to me. The parallel twin market is on fire right now, though, with Yamaha's R7, Aprilia's RS660, the RS, uh, or the uh, 660 Touareg that they just came out with. Uh, I don't need to mention the, uh, you know, the Tenere 700, the Africa Twin, you know, all these things being um, repurposed over over several times into other machines. The MT-07, the Tracer 7 over in um, Europe. Honda uses their large parallel twins and the CMX-1100, which is also known as the Rebel 1100 here in the States. They have a NT-1100 and Hawk 11 Cafe Racer, and I think both of those are over in Europe. Maybe they'll come to the States one of these days. But this is what it's all about. You, you research one... One motor, you find a stable platform for one motor and you turn up the heat on it, right? And that's only one motor that you have to make compliant for all these models. So I think that's what we're going to see. And we have been seeing things go that way since about 2012. Uh, and although the motor would be um, on this Honda Hornet, going back to the Honda Hornet, you know, they're, they're going to make a new Hornet. I believe the old one was an inline four. This one's going to be a parallel twin. Apparently, uh, the motor would be larger than the one that powers the uh, NC750, which is actually 745 cc's. Um, so it's going to be 10 cc's bigger. I don't know what that means. Just bored out. Perhaps it could mean an overhaul and a new motor for the existing 750s. So maybe they're not just going to make a weird 5 displaced 5 cc more motor. Maybe they're going to overhaul all the 750s. But one thing to note is that when I was looking at these sketches, there's a few variants. They look pretty cool, too. The Honda Hornet is a really nice-looking bike. The old one was was a nice-looking bike. There's a couple variants that the forward-canted motor is on display, 100%. It's, it's a part of the bike, right? You see it, you know it's there. That's how you know it's going to be a parallel twin. There was a couple sketches up in the left-hand corner, I think, that didn't have... Uh, the motor showcased like all these other ones and they kind of had these interesting fairings looking over them. 
I think Honda's coming out with some electric stuff in the next few years, or they're future planning their uh, some of these variants um, for electrification. And I think that this goes right into all that. Everything happening with them cutting the models for emission, the new design concepts, whether it's a Hornet or a new Cruiser, they're showing some of these sketches where it's really vague and the motor isn't taking front center stage on these design sketches. I think that means uh, electrification is coming. Uh, and other news, the Goldwing Road, Honda Goldwing Road Riders Association is ce ceasing operations after 45 years. This was some news that came uh, last week or the week before. Established in 1977, the Goldwing Road Riders Association has more than 72,000 international members spanning 53 countries, 800 active chapters, according to the association's website. Um, and the organization has offered a multitude of services and programs. They have their own magazine that caters to one single marquee, which is the Honda PC800. I kid you, it's the Goldwing. And uh, at their last wingding, uh, which they call their annual gatherings, June 28th to July 2nd in Shreveport, Louisiana, the founders, Paul Hildebrand and uh, Shirley Stevens Garcia, they informed the attendees that Wingding 43 would be the association's last gathering. Uh, the elderly duo gave reasons for the closure and indicated that it was not bankruptcy. It was, in fact, or, or anything else like that, you know, lawsuits, anything, any crazy thing like that. They said it was some of the reasons are dwindling membership. A lot of the members are aging out. Other ones are switching hobbies. And then they said, can anybody say RV? And that has been something that the motorcycle industry has noticed about four or five years ago. They really started to notice that they, they said millennials were not riding as much as Gen Xers and anybody before that. They were focusing on experiences that focused around a nuclear family including RV and side-by-side -side sales. And those have been skyrocketing, right? So perhaps this really is a thing. And, uh, and the Goldwing uh, you know, founders mentioning RVing, specifically calling it out as a reason why a lot of people are leaving the club. And I get it. You know, The older you get, the hotter it gets. Uh, you don't want to tool around on your two-wheeled RV anymore. You just want to sink your retirement fund into an actual RV and tour the country. I could totally understand that uh, the older you get. one, uh, And I believe um, Paul is like 80 or 83. Shirley was is 79, something like that. So most of the, I'm guessing that most of the riders are somewhere on the north end of the age scale rather than the younger. It's hard to get young people into uh, associations and clubs like that when there's so many offerings, right? So uh, we're talking about a, uh, you know, basically a an association that used to have, um, you know, their, from their own publication, they had like rider services, they had schools, they had meetups, they had like all sorts of crazy things. This, this was a huge organization and it's just crazy that... Uh, uh, it's closing after 45 years. It was a good run, and it wasn't mentioned if the existing clubs will maintain their status, but as of today, you cannot apply for membership. I clicked on the membership link just to see if it went anywhere. As of that announcement, the Goldwing Road Riders Association website will not let you sign up for any future events or uh, get a membership. It is, in fact, done, and at the end of this year, it will, shall cease to be, which is kind of a sad chapter in the Goldwing's life, but what uh, 
timely. They didn't say it has anything to do with Japan cutting the gold wing. I think it was purely coincidental that Japan announced that uh, after they had to make their tough decision. Speaking of tough decisions, and Tobor, you haven't melted yet. I haven't melted yet. Let me see if I can pour water into my mouth yet. Mm. What do you know? One drip fell in. Um, it is. There's massive heat waves right now. As I mentioned, probably 80-year-old people don't want to ride through a heat wave, you know, on the motorcycle. They could do it from an RV and watch TV at the same time. So listen to this, everyone. Uh, we're always talking about this in SoCal, and actually the West Coast, the whole entire West Coast caught on fire a few years ago, Colorado, Utah, everything. I'm not, I don't want to jinx it and say nothing's happened so far, but we've been fairly lucky this year. Uh, it's not fire season yet, though, in SoCal, and we've only had a few off-season fires as it, as it is. But across Europe right now, wildfires due to massive heat waves. France, Spain, and Portugal were ablaze literally as temps rose to 113 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, which is 45 degrees Celsius. And then I was just reading an article. I'll post it on our uh, social media on um, Instagram and Facebook. There was a post that the, for the first time ever – uh, temps got above 40 degrees Celsius in England, UK, Great Britain. Um, so yeah, that says something right there. The first time ever they're breaking heat waves uh, records, which were set in 2019. So only the last two or three years has it been getting so hot there. So this is, this is crazy. Rescue forces from Greece had to come down and assist the firefighters in Southern France. One thing I know is you never, you never want to put Greece on a fire, but apparently Greece came down and helped, uh, talk about making things spicy. You know, you get some, uh, Grecians down there throwing some hot water on France and, uh, you're going to have some beautiful babies. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore, except for the fact that this is nuts. Um, comments on Reddit from all over Europe were describing how the uh, the summers are getting hotter, the winters are getting uh, either starting later, and they have more rain than snow down now. And everywhere from Italy to Lithuania, and you may be thinking, hey, Italy, it's, it's like the Mediterranean when you talk about, well, the, Italy has the Alps, man. Italy has the Italian Alps. It snows up there, the Alpine, Alpine Gauls. Um, so from Italy to Lithuania, uh, the UK and even a quote, Midwestern USA person quoted in there, lamenting the shift in the weather patterns over the last 20, 10, and even five years. And another Redditor sarcastically quipped, quote, it's as if all these incidents of extreme heat are part of a larger pattern, end quote. To which I say, hmm, nah. <laughs> it's just coincidence. It's been getting hotter and hotter and hotter. But, uh, yeah, I just want to say for the first time ever, I'm not 100% sure how uh, how riding is going to get affected in the UK uh, or in, in Europe in general. I'm not sure how that affects, like, Italian motorcycle factories, uh, you know, French riding gear, uh, Lithuanian helmet production, French uh, and Portuguese, you know, I don't know, riders, there's uh, Spain, France, and uh, Portugal have, have a ton of riders and sports teams uh, all over, you know, so I'm not 100% sure how all of that's going to be affected, if it's going to affect any rounds of any racing, World Superbike, you know, MotoGP, any of that stuff. So all I know is that, man, with, with this stuff, uh, maybe night racing will become a thing because it's going to be too damn hot and too on fire during the day. 
to be able to uh, race race motorbikes and cars anymore. Um, in other news, speaking of Europe and being hot and global warming, <laughs> uh, Italian manufacturer Ducati has released the info regarding its 2023 Moto E GP bike. If you go back about one year ago, you'll remember several articles from several executives at the brand explaining not only that they wouldn't, but why they couldn't make electric motorcycles. And this was after a 2019 blurb uh, by the CEO, Claudio Domenicali, claiming that Ducati was interested in developing uh, a bike for the electric future, the Bologna brand quickly reversed course, and as Electric eloquently stated, quote, they threw cold water on the whole idea of Ducati producing electric motorcycles, end quote. Talk about throwing cold water. Uh, sounds like they, Italy could use some of that right now. But let's fast forward through the year that didn't exist, which is 21. Now, or 2020, now it's March of 21, April, May, and even some articles in June surface where Ducati consistently offered reasons why the technology wasn't there for the company to consider electric vehicles at the time. Uh, the you know, the probability that they would make electrics didn't happen. And then all of a sudden, rather suddenly, in October of 21, they announced, hey, guess what? Ducati's going to provide the bikes for the uh, 2023 <laughs> Moto EGP because Energica is departing the series. It's almost as though Ducati execs could be great politicians saying one thing one year, pulling a complete unforeseen 180 a year later, obviously having planned the whole thing out behind the scenes because you don't just jump jump up and pop out an electric bike suddenly as Harley Davidson's extremely transparent Livewire project demonstrated. They started that in 2014. They were struggling to get a bike out by 2020, right? So uh, you don't just pop one out. Six years later, they, they were cutting it close. So Ducati must have started this in 2019 and at least with some help or something got got a little little help from their friends uh they have a 2023 bike out i'm going to tell you uh with a little bit of history out of the way let's get to the vehicle it looks fantastic save for the missing exhaust pipe which uh doesn't look like a nerdy electric bike at all um the entire uh let's we can i think we can thank excuse me i think we can thank the entire pantheon of greco-roman gods for not letting ducati use any part of their initial concept zero that they unveiled in 2017. And I don't even know if it was 2017 was it 1987. If you, if you go back and look at the concept zero electric bike that they showcased, it looked like it was a robotic plesiosaur eating the front wheel, like a 1980s transformer or Robotech cartoon. It looked horrible. It was, it was, it was hard to believe it was a Ducati. You know what I'm saying? It was one of those. Uh, it was almost like that weird Yamaha bike that they made out of the, they had the music, uh, department at Yamaha design and, uh, it was horrible. So this new bike looks every bit Ducati. Thanks to the pairing of the, uh, Corsa designers with the Centro Stila Ducati. I was reading all about the production team and the design teams. Um, they got together, they worked alongside each other. They're able to design the electronics around the bike and vice versa, rather than having a design team throw a finished product at the engineering team and say, Hey, make it work they actually work together and it looks 
great as a result. It looks fantastic. The Energica Egos, um, I really liked. The Energicas were also fantastic. And they're an Italian company too. So maybe the Italians just know how to do it right. They don't have weird little things. Look like they're trying to sneak some electronics here or there. Everything looks purpose, like it has a purpose and it's purpose built. And that's exactly how this uh, thing looks. So the race bike weighs in at 225 kilograms, which is around 495 pounds. Apparently that is shy of the Dorna and FI I am race weights by about, I think, 12 kilograms, which I don't know what that is, like 30-something pounds. So apparently it's a little lighter than it's supposed to be. Uh, it's also got an 18-kilowatt-hour battery pack comprising 1,152 single-cylinder cells that makes up about half the total weight of the bike. So a little over 200 pounds uh, is just battery. It can recharge, dig this, uh, it can recharge to 80% in about 45 minutes thanks to the 20-kilowatt uh, charge port in the tail section. Uh, all these numbers that don't sound like they mean anything, I've been doing a lot of research, like I said, on electric bikes recently and charging, and it's a bit... It, what something says and what it does is, is just as confusing as it is for gas bikes. So, you know, you have like a Harley-Davidson that's got like... 93 horsepower, but it's got 148 foot-pounds of torque. You have a BMW S1000RR that has 218 horsepower, but only has 46 pounds of torque. They do it differently. One, they're both they're both fast in different areas, right? So charging and volts and kilowatt hours, same thing with these electric bikes. If it sounds like I'm talking gibberish, we'll do a whole show on it later. How's that? So the motor is 21 kilograms or just over. 46 pounds, and it spins at 18,000 RPMs. And I also did another conversion on this. That's 8,181 Brexit units. We needed some sort of conversion for revolutions, right? So the Moto, e, uh, Moto EGP has acclaimed 150 horsepower, which uh, they actually tested it, and it took it up to 275 kilomiles per hour, which is uh, <laughs> 170 uh, almost 171 miles per hour. Um, and that's right on par with the Vipor Panigale Superleggera um, in third gear. Other similarities to the V4 Superleggera are the stressed member chassis, which uses part of the battery pack, like the V4 Panigale uses the engine. Um, many braking and suspension components are also derived from the Superleggera. Uh, it's equipped with the standard suite of traction control goodies that you know, paired through the electronics that emulates the throttle and engine braking maps that member uh, racers are already used to on ice bikes like the Superleggera. And to top it off, the livery is just as flashy and eye-catching as a sword fight between Elton John and Liberace, uh, just not as bright. Um, it's gray and red and black, and it looks freaking fantastic. The whole bike is fantastic. If you get a chance, check it out. It's the uh, Ducati. Right now, they're just calling it the Moto EGP. Uh, super fast, super fun looking, um, and we'll have to see how it does in real life. And all those numbers, the um, the kilowatt hours, the charge kilowatts, things like that, I've been learning a lot more about uh, electric bikes and electric motorcycles, and that stuff, even though it's meaningful, like I said, it's almost like comparing a Harley to a S1000RR. The horsepowers are on the complete opposite ends, and so are the torques, and that means something uh, the way way you ride each one. Um, also, things I didn't know about Liberace, but I learned after writing that last sentence about the sword fight, his first name was Waladziu, and he was born in Wisconsin. All right. 
jumping, well, let's not jump across the pond exactly because I think Brandon Posh is from New Jersey, but mostly jumping across the pond, uh, Triumph celebrates its, uh, the finish, their final uh, production testing phase of the TE1. And it has some amazing real world feature figures as well. So let's talk about this. While Ducati, not to be outdone by Triumph, who's been having this project known to the world for a while, Excuse me, I think before Ducati even announced theirs. Uh, this is looking a bit like a speed triple. So the TE1s came out. There was a lot of testing phases in the beginning, a lot of pro, uh, production and and uh, sort of hardware gathering and, and feasibility. Well, now the final phase was road testing. Getting this bike actually put together a road tested. Uh, Brandon Posh, who won the 2021 Daytona 200, I believe, uh, took this thing out for a test. If you like the Triumph, if you like the original Street Fighter, which the Triumph Speed Triple was, Triumphs were uh, super popular um, and actually made the first production-based Street Fighter, uh, the test figures are going to be just as impressive as the TE1's appearance. As reported in Cycle News, the TE1 chucks out 175 horsepowers. So if you uh, look up here at the... um, Ducati at 150, that's just about on par. It's got 80 foot-pounds of torque, which sounds like a regular sport bike, nothing like an electric bike. Uh, We should talk about torque and horsepower because torque is the workload. Horsepower is just the rate at which it works or gets the work done. Like I said, that's for another time. Maybe we'll do that uh, and we'll talk about a watt being, you know, a watt is point seven, four, six of one horsepower, all this crazy stuff. Uh, when you hear all these things, it sounds glorious, but you know, it could be a little different once we actually see these things out on the, on the road and on the track. So we need to bask in the glory of this story for a second and get away from science of the thing. So the massive horsepower and torque boosts this 485 pound triumph from a standing stop uh, zero to 60 and 3.6 seconds. Hey, the live wire does it in what? 3.3 or 3.2. Everybody says 3.3 or 3.2. I think these are actual real world and they don't tell you if it's from a standing stop or a slight rolling stop. This from a dead stop, 3.6 seconds, zero to 100 and 6.2 seconds. That's almost as fast as my VW Beetle. Uh, on top of that, the TE1 is reported to charge to 80% in 20 minutes 80 percent in 20 minutes let's look at the ducati the ducati weighs in at 495 pounds this thing uh weighs in at 485 so they're just about the same the ducati charges to um well this thing says it charges to 80 percent in 20 minutes the Ducati says 80% in 45 minutes. So neither one is hours and hours and hours, which is kind of exciting to me, but they're both getting down. But how could they be so different? Well, I guess it depends on the, you know, the MotoGP bikes are going to be sitting still for, for a good hour or so while they, in between rounds and testing and stuff. So they're going to be sitting in the pit with the battery charger on. This TE01, I think, is being designed uh, for enthusiasts in mind, and you're not going to want to sit at the gas station for too long. So they're getting down. These figures are coming down 80% uh, in 20 minutes, so they say. Um, so that's getting closer to that magical 10 or 15-minute mark where you could start doing 
cross-country road trips on an electric bike. So the magic ratio that gas heads are looking for, even electric enthusiasts are looking for it, to be honest. I mean, it's not just uh, people that ride gas bikes. But one thing I did want to say about electrics and about all this stuff, maybe I'll save my commentary for the end, but the freedom of it all, right? So uh, moving on through the bikes that are here but no one cares about, I don't know if anybody cares about the electric Ducati and the Triumph at this point, but the fact that those two OEMs are coming out with them, Harley's got them now, so it's not just zero, it's not just lightning, it's not just, you know, Mission Motorsport, not just these weird little electric companies, big OEMs are focusing on it now, folks. Um, let's, let's talk about some bikes that are here that no one even knows about, no one even cares about, like the Coulter. The what? <laughs> yeah, that's what I said too. Let me digress for a moment. In an age where everybody uses their Chinese-made computer or phone to browse and shit upon the products that come from China, we often forget that many of the major and even exotic brands rely on components from all over the world. And that includes exporting bikes to other parts of the world to be assembled or manufactured Japan. Japan uses a lot of parts from China and India. And just to point this out, I just want to say, hey, you ever buy a 2021 or newer KLR650, if you can get them, if you can get through the uh, wait wait for the shipments from overseas to come or the chips or whatever, uh, if you can get your hands on a KLR650 or any 650 from Kawasaki, check your VIN for the M at the beginning. Because that means India, my friends. Everything, every anything that has KLX or KLR, except for the KLX 300R, uh, which has a K- R and an X in it. What the hell? So if it has the word, uh, the letters KLX or KLR at the, at the beginning, except for the KLX 300R, it's made in India. All the 650s from the KLR 650 to the Ninja 650, the Z650, et cetera, et cetera, they're all Indian. Uh, oddly, hang on, not all of them. The Ninja 400, the Versus 300, and the Z125 Pro, those are made in Japan. But I think uh, my assumption is, is because those are super popular domestic sizes based on, again, our conversation with Matt from My Motorbike Obsessions a few months ago. Uh, the 400, 300, 125, and 50 classes are still based on Japanese licensing they're probably still going to make a few of them over there. But these other ones, uh-uh. They ship them all out. There, There's a ton of stuff made over in uh, India. And I know that the guys, I haven't listened to Cleveland Moto in a while, but I know they used to like to shit on Royal Enfield. Uh, I don't know if they are anymore so much, but they were, you know, Indian and Chinese metallurgy. People have had a lot of issues with. Uh, people will talk shit about CSC motorcycles, which are made, uh, you know, at the Zongshan or Qingzhong, whatever factory they come from. But I'm telling you, Japan uses stuff too that you just don't know. A lot of bikes are also made in Thailand or Taiwan. Um, And you wouldn't know unless you look at the VIN or you look at the where it's manufactured sticker. Uh, Harley Davidson also publicly a few years ago uh, said we were pulling out of India, but they do have some knockdown kit assembly plants in India to avoid tariffs. A lot, And Harley has a lot of uh, places in Brazil, all over the world, uh, India. I think they have a couple. They might even have some in China where they have to ship the bikes there and to avoid tariffs, they get built there. So uh, they might ship the parts over there and they assemble them there, but they're still made in other countries using local hardware and things like that. So there's a lot of stuff that gets outsourced, right? So um, if you want to, you know, Brands, brands like, uh, let me talk about this. Um, 
BMW. BMW shocked the motorcycle world when they finally released something smaller than a 650 called the G310. Even more shocking than them making a sub 650 vehicle, besides that stupid 450 motocrosser they made for like two years, was the fact that it was designed with TVS in India and manufactured in India. And BMW made sure that they announced that German technicians, tools, training, all of those things are being deployed to India to make sure that these Bavarian standards are maintained, but they're still doing it in India. Uh, Ducati, Triumph, Honda, um, and a couple other ones that I'm, I probably can't even remember right now, uh, also have outsourced production to Thailand for years near component manufacturers such as Brembo, who also Brembo has a plant in Nanjing, China as well. So even Brembo has like 23 plants all over the world in uh, I forget how many countries. Um, so it doesn't matter who you think you're getting your bike from or your parts or my Brembo's, you know, my Wildwoods, my this and that's, you know, unless it says made in blah, blah, blah country. It's probably outsourced to another country, or at least they might have tire plants, uh, gear plants, um, brake plants in other countries, right? So if you want a Kawasaki or Honda, actually, on the flip side of all this, made in the good old US of A, assembled here at least, you got to buy ATVs or side-by-sides. Those are a lot of those, and the Yamaha stuff is made down in Georgia, Kentucky, you know, probably Florida. I don't know. There's there's a lot of stuff in our third world part of our country <laughs> where, where, where things are manufactured, right? So it's very interesting, very interesting where things are made, where you think they're made. Now, to end this digression and return to what? What was I even talking about? Oh yeah, the Coulter. The whole reason that I mentioned all this hubbub about where bikes come from and where components are manufactured and come from is that these days, I want to just remind you that price still plays a huge part for all manufacturers. It doesn't matter what you're making if you can't sell it. Honda's CBR1000RR is only $2,000 cheaper than a zero base model SR. And we're hitting terminal velocity right now because only 2,000 more from the zero SR and you hit the live wire and Energica prices. Uh, Yamaha's R1 and the FJR 1300ES, they're also basically par for the course, right? So what do we do when everything's creeping up toward the price of a street glide, especially with gas prices, climate change concerns on the mind of everybody and on the tongues of everybody and nearly everybody? There is an answer, sort of. And one of them I'm going to posit to you this week is the Coulter. Coulter is in the USA now, and it snuck in like the Cybersecurity Information Sharing Act snuck into U.S. law via the 2015 Congressional Omnibus Budget Deal, super quiet and unnoticed by the general public. Let's boil down how the Coulter did it. So what is it, first of all? Well, you can look it up on your Chinese-made computer and find out that it is probably also made in China. It's known as TinBot in most of Europe, and I even found some extant USA web pages that say TinBot on it. But if you look up Coulter, do I still have it up here? Oh, I don't. I probably have it. I have 18,000 different computer uh, devices open, and it's probably on the other one. But if you look up Coulter, K-O-L-L-T-E-R, USA, uh, you're going to find that they have a few bikes on there. And most of them, when I try to go backwards, it leads me to a German parent company. So I'm not 100% sure where they're based out of, but I'm going to tell you for this price, it's not Germany. Uh, most of the comment sections will lead you to believe that it's a rebadged Chinese import. Um, in 2016, 
when uh, former U.S. President Donald Trump said, fuck the EPA, I don't know if he really said that, but I'm sure he did in his Oval Office. He probably said lots of stuff that was maybe not caught on tape, but I'm 100% sure uh, that fuck the EPA probably came out of his mouth. He rolled back 98 environmental rules and regulations uh, in 20, starting in 2016 alone, and China at that time doubled down on the policies that it already had in place for about a decade. It subsidized electric vehicle, vehicle production and incentives, and in 2016 alone, China registered 352,000 electric vehicles, according to an article from Quartz the next following year after that. Uh, and although there's a bunch of underlying issues, I'm not saying China's perfect by any means, my Chinese friends always tell me how fucked up the place is, the way the Chinese government handles data that's collected by automakers via the onboard vehicle sensors, I guess, is, uh, you know, big brother watching sort of things happening. China has extreme industrial uh, waste pollution from all the electronics, not just electric vehicles, but everything they make. Uh, there's a myriad of other issues that go beyond the scope of this commentary that I'm not going to get into it. But what they did do, since they're a communist country and they can make the uh, state-owned uh, factories do what they want, they did succeed in converting much of its traffic to electric in a super short amount of time. And an article on greenatwork.com noted that Chinese domestic auto producers are state-linked and therefore they were required to abide by the governmental policy. That would explain the burgeoning electric movement that's currently engulfing China. A lot of the cars that are going from the U.S. to other countries like China that are being exported, uh, it's creating a boon for e-bicycle and e-motorcycle importers across the globe because they're getting all these cheap stuff from China. And on the flip side of it, while we we're exporting our quality vehicles to China, uh, and Japan is exporting stuff to China. They're trying to make it electric as well. So it's an incentive for exporters to make uh, their lineups electric, right? So will we ever get to this fucking culture? Sure. Let's do it right now. As I started to say before, I interrupted myself for the ninth time. It's cheap. It's a cheap alternative to almost anything on the motorcycle market today, as long as you don't want to blaze across the country in 24 hours flat out. Like I mentioned before, we're getting to that magical charging time with Ducati and Triumph and Zero working on all these battery technologies. Coulter, you're probably not going to get that. You're, this is Coulter is probably like some of the other motorcycles that you saw at ICMA or the Tokyo International Motor Motorcycle Show, a uh, couple years ago, um, belying brands like Damon, Curtis and Arc, which are huge, you know, 28,000, you know, dollar or $84,000, super cool, uh, electric motorcycles that only Keanu Reeves can ride on the matrix. The Coulter is more like the Super Soko, the Kimco or the Maving, which, Hey, Maving is made in Coventry, England. You're probably going to see it at the, uh, Motofest in Coventry in Coventry, England, UK, Great Britain in September. Maving is probably going to be there at that, uh, show because they are made there. I assume that the Triumph TE1 will also be there. And a lot more Motofests are, uh, involving, electric brands as their, uh, you know, their showcase marquee this, this, uh, in the next few, next few, uh, coming years, I can guarantee it. The Coulter ES1 Pro, let's get back to Coulter, looks a lot like the KLR650 and the slightly pricier, uh, Coulter TS1 looks a little bit like the revision of the now 
extinct uh, Native S from Electric Motorsport, which was you. It's like a DIY um, motorcycle that used to be able to buy off of uh, at Hollywood Electrics, as a matter of fact. So Native uh, Electric Motorsport offered the Native S, I believe it was, and I think you. Uh, used to be able to buy that and then put your own motor and controller and fun stuff in it. So I wanted to drill in the manufacturing cost and relevant pricing several times earlier because even in a post-COVID inflated motorcycle market, Coulter might be a great way to ease uh, into the electric future without making a huge investment in a still emerging technology. So the part of the reason a lot of people think Livewire was going to fail, zeros aren't as big as Honda or Kawasaki, um, is because the range anxiety still, I bet you there's people that still don't want to buy a Chevy Volt or a Tesla because of range anxiety, right? So those are 30, 60, you know, $80,000 cars. I don't even know. The Plaid is probably $150,000 for a fucking car. And if you look at the Ford F-150s and shit like that, those are going up. Those are like $60,000 for a truck, you know? Rivians, I have no idea how much they are. The Canoe, the new, a lot of these e-vehicles that are coming out, I have no idea how much they are, but I know they're a lot. And people don't want to jump into an untested or unfamiliar uh, sort of technology that they feel is still emerging for that much money, right? So the ES1 Pro is going to drain your bank account for the paltry sum of $59.90. The TS1 is $69.95, and that's not even how much a CRF 450RL costs. Those things are like $8,000 or $9,000 nowadays. So you could almost buy two uh, ES1 Pros for the price of a fucking Honda CRF 450 RL, a street legal dirt bike that ha- has the R in it now, which means you're going to have to rebuild the top end probably more often, do a lot lot uh, more maintenance on it than an electric bike. You just hop on and ride the fuck out of it and then charge it. So the whole reason to bring this up is uh, the ease, the ease of price. Now, it's not going to get you across the country, but neither is your CRF450RL. I bet you 12 bucks this uh, ES1 Pro, you can take it just as many places as your CRF. Uh, it comes with two different batteries. You look into, look into it. It's a two-battery bike. They're swappable and, and addable. So if you bring a couple more in your truck, pop them in. I think they're like 900 bucks a piece. You uh, $1,800 worth of battery, you ride all day. So uh, eventually... After with the way gas prices are, probably two months of riding your CRF 450RL that'll pay for itself. You're probably paying nine hundred bucks in gas a month for that fucking thing. Um, so if you've been a fan of of zero motorcycles from the beginning, you'll know that even their first battery offerings are already irrelevant. Super low kilowatt hours. Uh, in the meantime, battery technology is still progressing at an alarming rate. So people aren't off their rocker saying that they're not comfortable jumping into this new technology that's still developing for such a high price, right? And then you, I'll be out of my $60,000 for my base model crappy car in five years, you know? So listen, it is progressing at an alarming rate. Uh, you can almost look at batteries like computers. Every two years or so, something faster, more reliable comes out, more energy dense. Uh, using the analogy for e-motorcycles to batteries, we're in the early... Um, I'm sorry, using using the uh, analogy for computers to, to e-motorcycle batteries, we're in the early 80s, baby. All the screens are green. Pong is fucking awesome. Just wait for a few decades when we discover some like new substrate that's energy dense or we can 
you know, find something will displace some people from their land for the raw materials required to make it. Avatar, the movie Avatar, probably isn't too far off from what's going to be the truth. Maybe it'll be some weird inadvertently man-made mineral that forms beneath Detroit from all the, you know, crazy <laughs> auto industry runoff that has has you know, plagued that country since the uh, last century. So maybe it'll be some new thing like that and we can displace all the people out of Detroit. I'm sure they wouldn't mind being moved out of Detroit for for a new energy source, but I digress. But the Zero is an example that I use because even the base model SR is over three times the price of a Coulter ES1 Pro. And this truly is the 1980s of battery technology. You you don't want to sink a ton of money into a bike that'll be outdated in five years. Get something like this Coulter. You can probably afford to take that chance. And as swappable batteries get uh, that are already a thing, as they become more of a thing, uh, maybe you'll be able to retrofit this thing, and you'll have the first gen. Uh, Coulter KLR lookalike that actually you can ride for as long as people have been riding their Gen 1 KLRs from the 80s, right? Um, a few other brands that join this body of affordable street legal machines come to us from, surprisingly, the e-bicycle community. Uh, the first one is Sondors. The first one I'm going to talk about is Sondors. Uh, Super 73 is another one. Of course, there's probably a plethora uh, that I'm forgetting or that are, that are making motorcycles that are soon to join. Um, but I think, um, I think Sondor's was the very first fat tire pedal assist bike that I ever rode. I, I hopped on it. I started to pedal and it just like popped a wheelie and took off on me. I was not ready for as soon as the crank moved, it took, took off on its own. I almost flipped over a curb. Uh, I'm used to, I was used to riding a pedal, bicycle where you pedal and the faster you pedal, the faster you go. No, this thing, I just moved the pedals and it like fucking took off like a bull, like a cut cat, as our friend Dan from Australia would say. Then I believe I rode a Yamaha uh, after that, but I think Sondors was the very first one. So Sondors, which is famously a bicycle company, now is offering the Metacycle. Uh, I believe it's going to be out at the end of this year or the beginning of next year, 5,000 bucks. Again, same around the, just like the Coulter, it costs less than a third of the price of the Zero and the Livewire. It's less, it's almost half the price of a, KL, of a, uh, a CRF 450 RL from Honda. Um, but neither the Sondors or the Coulter is going to blow your pants off with the same acceleration as the Zero or the Livewire, which are very fast. But consider them cheap city bikes that will quietly get you to work and back for less than a pint of beer. Because guess what? Gas, at least in my neighborhood, is catching up to the price of a pint. Uh, definitely less than a gallon of gas. If you're talking about cents, you know, costs you cents to refill your charge tank and your battery, that's, you know, like I said, even though the batteries are 900 bucks for the Coulters, uh, a month of gas on your motorcycle every single day back and forth to work that's going to pay for one battery it's guaranteed even on the motorcycle it's going to be like you know 500 bucks uh, of course none of the electrics on the road right now will get you hours and hours of non-stop travel but for short trips to work and back especially in california where traffic makes lane sharing a must hey these are totally viable offerings you get on the freeway for just a few miles, get do some city roaming. As a matter of fact, 
getting lost or just roaming downtown Los Angeles on an e-motorcycle would be just about the only way I would want to get lost if I had to get lost in downtown, just because after a while, getting stuck in traffic, even splitting on a motorcycle on a on a gas bike, you got the pipe sticking out, you got something sticking out. These e-bikes can be so skinny because there's no, they can be as skinny as the handlebars because it doesn't have to be exhaust pipes. There doesn't have to be pegs sticking out to clear exhaust pipes. They can be super skinny. And a lot of times they are, right? So, uh, split lanes through, even through downtown, even on the 101, even on the one through, uh, or the 101 through like, downtown LA where it's always backed up no matter what time of night or day it is. It's always backed up. You could squeak through there on an e-bike and eventually even I get hot, the heat coming up from the end motor, the, uh, the sound thumping in your helmet when you're sitting there at a light, your 12th red light. Hey, when you're not moving on an electric bike, there's no sound. You get to smell the bum piss and actually hear them taking a leak. So I don't know. E-bikes, I'm, I'm digging them. And after riding a few e-bicycles recently, I'm really digging them too. Speaking of short trips that aren't hours and hours long, uh, what about the racetrack? Well, Moto G, the Moto E GP, the Anil uh, Cup right now that races with Moto GP, they do it. The TTX GP did it. And now Stark is doing it. If you never heard of Stark, Stark is a company, I think, out of Spain, maybe. And the Stark Varg, which is due out next year, claims 80 horsepower. And it says six hours, thanks to a six kilowatt battery. But I'm going to tell you, that's not how battery measurements work. <laughs> the, the, that's what the website says. But that's not how kilowatt hours work. <laughs> um, it's got 938 newton meters of torque. That sounds like a lot. It says it multiple times on the website. So it's not a typo. And I looked it up. That's 692 foot-pounds for all of our listeners in Uruguay. That's enough to rip your arm off if you're one of those idiots that tries to lube your chain by running the motor like a big-brained Einstein, and then the rag gets stuck in there, and then your finger goes under the chain. It's going to tear off your hand. That is a lot of torque, and I guess it needs that much to spin the motor up to 14,200 RPMs. Although... What was it? The Ducati or the TE one spins up to eighteen thousand. So I guess it's not that impressive. It's nine times the torque of the uh, Triumph TE one, though. Nine times the torque of that hundred and seventy-five horsepower Triumph coming out of this eighty horsepower dirt bike from Stark. With all that torque and eighty horsepower, what the Stark Varg is perfect for is the dirt track, and apparently it will last you all day if you're a youth or a vet. That six kilowatt hours will last six hours if you just kind of take a break during the, um, uh, you know, when you're not racing, you're not get gunning the engine. You don't need to for any reason when it's electric. Uh, you don't need to power on the motor for nothing. So you just sit there and let it rest in between. Apparently it will. If you're a pro though, they say it'll last you 45 minutes. Psycho World did a test on it and they tested it against a YZ450F. Uh, they verified that it's harder to quantify than junkie's age, but it lets you focus more on riding than listening to the rev range that your engine is in. You don't have to focus on shifting. You don't have to focus on the clutch work. You just twist and go, and you focus on the riding. You do have to uh, focus on other things because the torque isn't there when you're used to riding a uh, a gas bike. It hits different, right? So it's constant linear torque rather than like blipping and like maybe popping the clutch. I don't know. It it probably wasn't 
they they had it for one day. So who knows how fast they'd be on it if they had it for a whole week, right? So one thing that they said, the attester actually uh, in the video said that it makes mid-air corrections way faster than your standard dirt bike because in the air on your dirt bike, you you know you hit the brakes or you give it gas if you're about to nose over or if you're coming in hot with the back wheel down and it'll lift the back wheel or it'll get the front wheel pulled back up. And on this thing with 692 foot pounds of torque, you could probably jump, give it throttle in the air and do a backflip in the air and then hit the brake and, uh, bring it back down. I'm just guessing, you know, look, it'll look like a totally fake CGI stunt, but with that much torque, uh, apparently it's super easy to correct midair, much better than a standard dirt bike. Uh, the power hits with two stroke force, but more linear, like a four stroke. So it was really confusing for not only them, but it's probably going to be confusing for the competitors too. when they don't hear you coming and all of a sudden you're there, but then you're just gone. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and it's also one of the things holding electric back from the world of motocross right now. There's a lot of pushback. This is, this is one of the big things. I think at Loretta Lynn's a couple of years ago, they made an announcement. They would not allow or even consider at the time electric bikes to run because everybody in the motocross community is pushing back. Um, against these electric machines? Are they fair to race against gas machines? What's the parity? How do we know to race them against 250s or 450s? Um, I think going off a basic horsepower uh, rating would would give you all, you all the information you need to know, but that's not it. And the guy that uh, apparently feels responsible for... Um, having two strokes eventually banned from production said that he feels like he was a big uh, part of that and two strokes aren't really that hot in racing anymore and he feels bad for it. Uh, and he was part of the, one of the people giving his input on that That's valuable input, but listen, you know, I just imagine, I just imagine you look out one day, there's a lot of motorcycle tracks getting closed for noise. So you look out one day and you just see people floating through the air, you know, or over these Hills, you don't hear crap. They're out there on their motorcycles. You crash, you scream, people are going to hear you. You crash right now, and yeah, help. People can't hear you because all they hear is and all that fun stuff. So anyway, uh, let me digress again. Um, yeah, so that's my electric doom and gloom. You know, all the all, every single gas motorcycle that we know is going to be uh, uh, going into the, the trash bin pretty soon. It's all going to be electric. We're all doomed. Uh, only, only electric motorcycle. That's not me farting, by the way. That's my chair. Although it does sound like a crusty fart. For those, we have the sound effect board. All right. All that just for that. Uh, so anyways, yeah. So uh, make a long story short, everything, there's, there's going to be electric something for everybody out there. The prices are coming down a little bit, especially on the less rangy bikes and the less... Uh, Made in America bikes like the Livewire and the Zero and the Lightning. Uh, if it's Chinese, it's going to be super cheap like everything else. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be I, – I feel like right now, here's, here's how I feel about it all. I feel like we are, in a way, going back to the day where uh, Harley-Davidson, Indian, uh, Thor, like Excelsior, Swan – bunch of other motorcycle manufacturers were actually putting uh by, you know motors on bicycles and if you say oh you know electrics are not real motorcycles 
um, cause they don't, you know, they're basically a bicycle with motor. Then when did real motorcycling start? It wasn't 1901. You take that Harley Davidson 1903 badge off and for all you Triumph and Royal Enfields rip that 1901 badge off. Cause basically they were bicycles with motors on them until like 1910, 1911, you know, 1913, stuff like that. When they actually started building frames for motorcycles. Right. So, uh, you can, drop about 10 years of heritage if that's how you feel about it. But I feel like right now, especially with motorcycles, especially with bicycles and all this stuff taking over the e-commerce, or I mean, sorry, the power sports commerce, that we are going back to the original uh, landscape of motorcycles where they started, how they started, uh, and we're re- re-beginning. We have this fabulous new beginning with uh, electric and, uh, and that's my opinion on it all. Let me see. What else do I have here? Oh, speaking of lightning, lightning's working on, on an electric ADV bike, everyone. <laughs> Before the strike ever got completed, what happened to the lightning strike? I want to know where that thing went. You're starting on an ADV bike before the strike was even completed. So we'll see how many noiseless bikes we see slipping through the hills and deserts in the next few years. But I don't know if lightning is going to be one. I'm losing faith. They're becoming more vaporware for me than anything. And final electric news, I think final electric news. I mentioned this at the top of the show. I'm going to mention it again. E-bicycle sales were becoming significant and a super significant part of the power sports landscape. Before e-bikes, just bicycles in general, like Giant and um, uh, there was a Trek. They were, uh, and you know, Ducati, uh, they they have made road bikes and stuff like that for a while. Um Dealers were reporting uh, selling more e-bicycles. I mentioned at the top of the show than than e than marine. Uh, I think snowmobiles and snow stuff. They're quickly catch, catching up to snow, at least, and the ATV segments. Um, and that's a big deal. For a long time, people have been trying to get bicycle riders into motorcycle dealerships for some crossover. If you can ride a bike, if you love two wheels, maybe we can sell you on motorcycles, right? That has been a strategy since about 2017 when bicycle brands started showing up at IMS of all things. So now parts unlimited, you may know them because you buy your bagger, uh, you know, you buy some bagger aftermarket crap there, uh, or you buy some, you know, motorcycle racks. I don't know what you buy at Parts Unlimited, but they have appointed uh, Mike Ralph as their e-bike manager. Um, and this is the evidence that these two wheels, as we know it, may be returning to a time when hybrid pedal motor power was fun, affordable, and a way to enjoy two wheels without the need for a license or registration. So, for Parts Unlimited, a, a notorious motorcycle brand, you know, motorcycle parts company, uh, I think that they are under the, uh, I forget what the parent company is, but it's like, you know, they're not, not the mag group, but they're part of like one of those big conglomerate of motorcycle parts groups. Um, parts Unlimited, man, they have uh, an e-bike specialist now, and he and uh, Mike Ralph is the manager, and uh, he, he came onto the company as a uh, part product specialist and, and uh, I don't know, c- consultant or something like that. And now he's actually the manager. That means that, that you're going to b- start seeing, <laughs> excuse me, some aftermarket e-bike stuff popping up. They are becoming that popular in the two-wheeled uh, world. And uh, not only are they affordable, not only are they fun, they're quiet. You can actually ride them down the sidewalk. No one's going to you know bust your balls about that. 
like they would if you rode your street glide down the sidewalk or your Indian chieftain or your victory hammer or whatever the fuck you have. Uh, definitely any sport bikes down the sidewalk, they are going to bust your chops. You can't even ride a mini bike down the sidewalk or, or a uh, scooter without getting, you know, thrown on the street and arrested and shot by a bunch of Dayton, Ohio cops. But bicycle, that's another story. You might get yelled at, but you're not going to get killed. And they're starting to look more like motorcycles too. Harley offers (laughs) e-bikes. Every single day that I spent writing these notes, somebody else popped out some e-bikes. You know who else just popped out some e-bikes that totally disappointed the fans when they said, hey, we got a couple new models coming out? MV Agusta. Boy, they sure disappointed a lot of people when they dropped their (laughs) new e-bicycle. And Ducati's been spamming with their new e-bikes. Um... Yamaha has been making e-bikes for years. Super 73 is now has been making e-bikes and now they're going to be making a motorcycle called the uh, CX1, right? So all these bicycle um we're we're just going to me. We're going back in time where uh where bicycles are returning to the uh the uh, we're kind of we're not reinventing the wheel, but we've definitely come full circle on where motorcycling started and how it started as things become uh uh you know, everything we talked about from climate change, climate stewardship, I should say, uh, riding access, um, you know, having less and less places to ride, um, bikes off-road. So we're taking them to the streets, right? So, and even possibly people becoming more health conscious. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's something too. That's part of what's contributed to this shift in sales, but also a lot of racers ride bikes, um, in the off season or to get, get trained or stay fit. So they're, they're fun regardless. So in effect, I think we're headed back to the drawing board where motorcycles began as motorcycles with just motors on, or as bicycles with motors on them, how motorcycling started. So now they're just bicycles with batteries on them. And we'll just, uh, hopefully look forward to the next 120 years. Um, when things get even cooler and faster and we have this new love and then you don't even remember what a, it's like people that rode the steam bicycles back in the 1890s. We don't give a shit about that. People are going to be like, Oh, gas. You used to use gas. We don't give a shit about that. Um, so anyway, long story short, we've been blabbing. How long we've been on tow Give me a raise a finger. We're at an hour and 44. Good. We'll get out of here pretty soon. Let's, um, Move away from electrics, but slightly closer to where the first bicycles got motors slapped on them right here in the USA to South Dakota. Okay, everybody, South Dakota, not just where Sturgis is happening in a month or two, but Rumble On. If you never heard of Rumble On, you've been living under a Rumble Rock, probably. Rumble On signed a 10 year deal with the city of Sturgis as the exclusive power sports sponsor. Now, I know Harley Davidson signed a 75 year naming agreement a few years ago, I think it was like 2015 or something like that, for the city to have a street named after it. I think it's like wherever City Hall is, it's called Harley Davidson Way. But Rumble On, they're going to be the official power sport event sponsor for the next decade. So like I said, Rumble On, just in case you uh, you wear your hat over your eyes and gloves on your fingers and don't know what the internet is, they are a the go-to website platform for you to buy and sell vehicles. They offer cars, trucks, and all that. But mostly what I know them for, and I don't know... They, they differ from most consumer sport or for consumer sites like Carvana and Carfax and all that stuff because they offer 
power sports. So they are huge, huge in the power sports. Um, and now they're going to be huge, huge in uh, Sturgis. And as you go up to the Sturgis Rally, uh, Rumblon is going to be uh, one of the main sponsors. Also, speaking of Sturgis, they um, if you head up to Mud Pots and check out, Sturgis has a new uh, logo this year. So that's pretty cool and interesting. Um, listen, I'm not going to blab too much more. This is a, a news heavy, uh, a news heavy show. And I just want to give you all the bad news so that you can go out there and get an electric bike before it's too, too late. Tell your friends that you were uh, one of the spear tip of the spear. We've been talking about electric motorcycles for a while, but I feel like finally things are actually coming around to that 10 year mark that we said, Hey, in the next 10 years, we said that back in 2015 and guess what? I think in two years, it's going to be 2025. So we are right about that point. Um, and now we're seeing it happen. Collapse of the, uh, the Roman Empire, as it were. And a bunch of Vikings are going to come in on their e-bikes, terrorize your city, and uh, do fun mini bike rides. There's already a ton of electric bike rides here in California. I don't know about where you live, if they're even legal. But if you want to hook up for either a mini bike ride, where you ride little mini style bikes around and it could be anything from a grom to a pull starter homemade kit thing there's a ton of rides that happen around here hit us up at creative writing podcast at gmail.com or hit us up on the dms at the uh instagram hit us up on facebook wherever you feel like hitting us up at um i'll set you up with uh, one of those rides and if you're in e-bicycles or e-scooters or e you know there's people that take razors there's a dude on youtube named sir ronster that takes a uh took a razor little motor super motor looking thing and turned it into like a 60 mile an hour <laughs> battery operated kids bike and no one ever looks twice because it just looks like a little scooter that he's riding down the street and then he's popping wheelies at like 70 miles an hour through the neighborhood uh so you could there's a whole bunch of people from e-bike e-bicycles to those type of things that go on rides too if you want to hit up one of those Again, email us at uh, Creative Writing. And if you uh, are a patron of the show, you want a sticker, um, you want to reach out and say hi, email us, creativewritingpodcast, gmail.com, and uh, let us know. Hit us up. Thanks, everybody, for the missives. Thanks, everybody, for hanging in and listening to me blab all this week. Again, sorry that our uh, guests couldn't be in studio, but uh, the coroner just came and picked up one of them, asked me where the other one was. Uh, the cops were here during the uh, intermissions. You didn't hear me getting questioned for murder. I said, listen, they evaporated. He's that pile of dust right there. So uh, maybe we'll have him on next time. And if you have been interested in e-camping... Excuse me, e-camping or uh, gear. We're going to get the the crew back on, and we're going to talk about that stuff in detail. Also, upcoming shows include AMA. I want to <laughs> I want to uh, pull from Reddit. Somebody asked a motorcycle thief anything, and there was some great crap that that person talked about. Also, I want to do a round of. Uh, of uh, Reddit storylines where people say, hey, what is this clicking noise when I turn my uh, bike on? It won't start. And and 19,000 people say it's the battery. One person says, run, it's going to explode. I love that sort of stuff. We'll try and fool you. You give us a... Uh, I will read a uh, Reddit uh, question. You have the chance to respond what you think the problem is and uh we'll do like a stump the chumps it'll be a very fun interactive we'll be mostly interactive i'll read it you'll scream at the speaker from thousands of miles away and i won't hear you and then we'll both be sad when the show's over all right everybody it's an hour and 50 minutes 
have a good one. Uh, let me know if you've ridden an e-bike, e-bicycle, e-motorcycle. I don't give a crap what it is. Uh, let me know your thoughts on where things are headed with the price of gas and the price of ass, so to speak. And let me know if you're headed out to Sturgis and uh, what sort of stuff we see there. Um, all right, everybody, with that, let's uh, bone out of here. Tobor, it's been great seeing you. Um, thank you so much for not dying and melting and me too. I think I'm going to be able to, I'm thinking I'm going to pull through Tobes. I think I'm going to pull through. Let's get out of here. My voice is drying and cracking up. Uh, remember, take it easy if you're in buttfuckers culch, stay hydrated. <laughs> All right. And don't need the fudge. Bye. Hey man, if your name is Paul and I have your bike here at my house. I just want to say one thing. I love this thing, but it's time to give it back to you. And uh, I just reimagined the fairings the other day. If you don't mind me keeping it for a little bit longer. <laughs> four, four years later, I finally have it done. No, I just want to give a quick update. Uh, if that, uh, yeah, I, I have, um, reimagined after you gave me the belly pan, uh, I, and I looked at some really cool, uh, things that I saw, I don't know, long story short, I'll just keep it short and simple. I've reimagined the fairings a little bit from what I originally had, not only to match up better to the, uh, belly pan, but also based on some really cool uh, design elements that I've seen elsewhere in another aeronautically based uh, platform. Let's just keep it at that. Anyways, maybe one, maybe one of these months, I'll, we'll hit you up. We'll get it back. I really want to ride again. I miss you. I miss everybody out there that I uh, haven't seen in a bit, and including Wigs. Wigs, happy birthday to little Wigs. Maybe I'll see you this weekend. Right. Bye for real this time. Tobor, I stink. I stink. <laughs> <laughs>